on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're celebrating the 4th of July by honoring some amazing American women and their work. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are so glad that you have joined us today. Happy 4th of July weekend. Woohoo! We have an amazing show today, which I think really plays to our whole deal here. Women, work, joy, satisfaction, meaning, ease, all the goodness. And today we're going to talk about the goodness. Yeah, we're going to talk about the goodness and some contributions of some amazing women. And, you know, honest to goodness, when we were doing some research for the show, I was thinking about how various women have contributed, obviously, to society, to work, etc. And then I came smack dab Smack dab. Smack dab. Face front. Face front. In full, the middle of. In the middle, confronted by. Anyway, I, I met somebody who was inspirational recently. And I have to say, it was kind of a unique conversation. I was having it as, you know, just one of my clients. I was talking to one of their staff people. And we were exploring a deep subject. And, and this woman reminded me, she's younger, and she reminded me of this notion that as we age, we sometimes become brittle in our mm-hmm. view of the world. Mm-hmm. and Less open. Less open. More, less curious. More judgmental. Mm-hmm. And it was a great conversation because it reminded me that that's the, that's the thing we're trying to avoid. Right. Anyway, so she inspired me to kind of take a look at myself and where I'm becoming more rigid as I age, because let's face it, I'm getting old. <laughs> I am. I am getting old. I'm hitting half a century. You know, I'm just telling this- you, old changes all the time. But I get your point. It's like, we want to bring in all of this information, new stuff. You know, we want our funnel to be big and wide. Yes. I've always thought as I age, I just want my funnel to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm more and more capable of taking more in about ideas and things that might feel uncomfortable or new or unfamiliar. So kudos to your client. Whoops, sorry, I just bonked my computer, folks. Kudos to your client for kind of calling that out and reminding us that's our Part of our work in the world is to keep our funnel wide open. Keep our funnel wide open. And, you know, for me, sitting with her, she's younger, and hearing her ideas was just, you know, cool, because I got to hear Mm -hmm. things that were different. And then exploring for the show, same thing. Yes. Because as our listeners will soon find out, when choosing to focus on the contributions of American women, amazing, inspirational American women, we decided to look only at women of color. So many people to look at. But one of the things I want to just call before we start kind of in on our amazing women who've made contributions to work in America, the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. It's a tricky wicket. Like, I remember years ago, it was like, woohoo, picnics, parties, firecrackers, you know. Yeah, getting your finger blown off. Hopefully not that, but just always just really about just being festive. And you made this point, the 4th of July is not that. Not not for everybody. For a lot of people. Yeah. And so I think that in this show, we wanted to kind of move our way away from just celebrating America, because we know that's complicated for many people. And I think it's becoming more complicated for you and I. Yes. As we look at racism and what being an anti-racist means and all of the things that our society is dealing with. So we thought we'd just pivot and look at the contributions that women have made to work in America, because I am telling you, listeners, they're glorious. They're just 
glorious. They are. They are. I know. You know, I get there. I get there. They're just amazing. I have goosebumps, which no one can see on the air. And Kirsten (laughs) tears up, which is so lovely and beautiful. I love it. And then I have to laugh to get my, you know, hormones working the right way. (laughs) Right. It is interesting. Yeah. Fourth of July is complicated. And from the Native American perspective, from black perspective, Mm -hmm. from people who Mm -hmm. did not, were not independent when we declared Mm -hmm. our independence. So it is a lovely thing to kind of step out of our whiteness a little bit and, and realize that not everybody has this experience. Yeah. Let's look at the different experiences. And as always, I really think that when we talk, we are deeply grounded in what works at work. And this episode is no different because what works at work is to call out, elevate, and acknowledge people's successes, the things they achieve, the things they do well, the hard work that they complete. And so that's part of why we wanted to do this today, because we want to get in that habit of calling out the goodness because it inspires people around us. It does. In fact, studies show that. Mm -hmm. There are study after study after study that show that the more that you elevate, especially women leaders, yes, or women at work and their contributions, the more willing they are to engage at that level, especially in situations where there are both men and women or more than just women. So yes, absolutely. Not only are we celebrating some amazing women of America in of this America. episode, absolutely. Um, we're also calling them out in this ongoing effort to call all women out. Yep. To call all women out, to raise them up because- Yeah, those studies say that if you say, yeah, that was good, they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to try something new. They're willing to step bigger. So that's kind of the ground of this episode. Yeah. And not just because it's also fun to talk about these amazing women. Who's your favorite? Or no, no, no. That's an unfair question. It's unfair. Who do you want to talk about first? Okay. I want to talk first about May Jemison. And the reason I want to talk about her first is because the listeners may recall that there's an episode where I talk about my daughter's graduation from college from Bryn Mawr College, which is an amazing experience, which I really felt. So all women's college really brought women. It's just amazing. But May Jemison spoke, and I wanted to dig a little deeper into who she was because she was such an inspiring speaker. So she is the first Black woman in space. Mm. She is a physician. That's how she got into space. Just so you know, you can get into space if you're a physician, which I think is super cool. Ticket to ride. Ticket to ride. Ticket to big ride. (laughs) Anyway, what I love so much about her is she seems to have done like a tremendous amount of internal work. Her theme at that graduation and what I saw when I was researching her is just amazing. She says, life is best when you live deeply and look up. And what I really felt about that and her speech and what I've read and seen on YouTube videos is that she is very aware of who she is, of what the possibilities are, and she's really willing, as she says, to look up. And that got her into space. It's crazy. And here's the fun fact about her that I just love. I don't know if folks will remember this, but... In Star Trek, Lieutenant Uhuru, she actually, as a nine or 10 year old girl, was inspired to go into space because she saw an African American, a black woman in space. 
Wow. Even if it was with James Kirk, you know? It so was, it was the original Star Trek way back when. The original Star Trek way back when. She saw somebody who was a role model mm-hmm. who she could relate to, and that inspired her, her to go to space. And I don't know if anybody knows this movie, but Buckaroo Banzai, it's a wonderful sci-fi kind of campy, the, the adventures of the amazing Buckaroo Banzai. And he's like a neuroscientist. He's a rock star. He's an astronaut. And actually, I think May Jemison is our version of Buckaroo Banzai. She's an astronaut. She's a scientist. She's a dancer. So she is just an amazing woman who's just made extraordinary contributions to work in America. And now she's working on getting humans outside of our solar system in the 100-year Starship program. So you go, Dr. Jemison. Yeah, making a difference at work in America and the solar system. And the solar system. Oh, my God. I love that quote. Life is best when you live deeply and and look up. up. Look towards the stars. Or just up, man. Just outside your own self into the rest of the world. Just get out there. Yeah. Speaking of women who live deeply and look up, I have to say the person who, when we decided to do the show, I immediately thought, oh, my God, I have to put this woman on our list. And that is a woman named Fawn Sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, like you with Miss Jemison, I saw Fawn Sharp speak once. She is a phenomenal leader. You would not believe the power of this woman's words. She is the leader of the Quinault Nation. So she's an elected official and a Native American tribe. But she has gone on to lead the regional affiliated tribes and is now the president of the National Congress of American Indians in D.C. So she's holding these positions simultaneously. And she's a lawyer by training. She's been elected time and time again as a leader of the Quinault Nation. And she has this incredible, deep understanding of the law from being trained as a lawyer. And she's using it. She's wielding it like a sword as she fights for her community. You know, I love that. Yes. As she pushes for climate action, she's suing the fossil fuel industry for knowing burying information that, about climate change. She's managing forests in a really innovative way in Quinault. And she's leading the nation on addressing issues that impact the Native American community in a way that is profound. Even down to she's adopted children and she used the Indian Child Welfare Act to push on the system to place Native American children in her home instead of a white home. And so her history is, like many of ours, long and complicated. But there was one story that I heard about, I, th- I believe it was on one of the YouTube videos that I heard her speak, where she went, She went. one of her first jobs was she went to D.C. and she ended up working for the CIA. And when she was there, she felt very lonely and she didn't really have a connection or a community or a place. And she ends up at the like Museum of Natural History and there's a Native American American woman there teaching basket weaving who just continued to make eye contact with her, you know, throughout the course of this program. And it impacted her deeply. It really called her back to her roots and to her people. And so, you know, did she find it like, I mean, I've been in DC. I know what that's like. It can be very lonely and disconnected. And I'm just wondering whether she was like, oh my gosh, it's, those are my people. Yeah, and they're in the museum, which is weird, right? That's where I'm finding them. That's where I'm finding connection. Yeah, Mm. yes. So, I mean, God love her. So please, look up Fawn Sharp. And her impact, I really think, is, like I said, how she's using the law to 
push forward those values that she and her community since time immemorial mm-hmm. have held. Have struggled, yeah. And well, these values that they have held, these things that they demand and then of, struggled with in our white world to figure out how to keep those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, more power Would to you, her. Before we leave, Fawn, this is, I think, such an interesting thing. Talk about the taxation thing she's working on, because this, I did not, like when you said it, I was like, oh, of course, but I did not realize it. And I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. Well, she was saying that, you know, all of these sovereign nations, every single Native American tribe is a nation in them, in and of themselves. And they- a Sovereign ne- nation. Sovereign nation. They negotiate government to government with our federal government, right? And they provide a vast number of services to the people of each nation, of their nation. And yet they are not able to tax the businesses that occur on the reservation in a way that that would allow them to get this revenue. And so if, you know, there's a reservation in your county, the county's getting the, the those, county taxes. The county's getting the so county the tax. tribe taxes, like there's a double tax. Yeah. So if I'm going to go do, set up a business, you well, know, yeah. at, at Lummi Nation, I'm going to have to pay double taxes. And so she has linked with many other tribal leaders and is really pushing for this change so that they can provide the vital ser- services that they need to on their... Um, and tax for them without discouraging businesses to locate. Exactly. I just think that's like, I just think that's an amazing thing to work on. It's one of those weird, like, legalistic economic things that really changes the way the world works. Exactly. And that's, I think what I'm saying is like her background in law and her leadership positions have just been, and her bold, just no holds barred approach to her work is just like, you go girl. I have to end with one quote. And she just said, she was speaking to a, a climate justice rally, I believe, but I believe that she would apply this in almost any other place in her life. She said, I challenge you all to resist the temptation to become apathetic. Mm. And I think that that's what she's done. So more goosebumps, fawn sharp. And what I love about her too, just before we leave her, is every place she's been, she's risen to leadership. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I love that she left the CIA to go back to her tribe and up, up, up she goes. I mean, I'm sure she could have gone up, up, up at the CIA. Yeah. And but what a difference she's made. And in every single one of those leadership roles, the three that I referenced, mm-hmm. both at her at the Quinault and then at the regional affiliated tribes of Northwest Indians and all the way up to the Congress, she's been one of the, if not the only woman, one of very few mm-hmm. in each of those positions. So you go, girl, go, go fawn, go, go fawn, go fawn sharp. So you're going to see a pattern with Krina and I on this one. You know, Krina is leaning more towards the activists and I'm leaning more towards the scientists and the business people. It's one of those things where we like, okay. Okay, this is good that we're both at this and bringing different perspectives. Yeah, because who um, do you have? Who's who do you got? So I have Doctor Alexa Kennedy. Okay, and the reason I picked her, okay, she is the first Black woman neurosurgeon in the United States. By the way, she was admitted to practice in 1981. Wait. 1981 was the first Black neuroscientist, neurosurgeon, neurosurgeon. Yep. First black woman neurosurgeon, 1981. Oh, right. Crazy, right? I was a, I would have been like a sophomore in high school. Yeah. And and by the way, my judgment is on only, and only on the system that didn't put hundreds of black women neurosurgeons in place before, in place 1980, before 1981. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the reason I want to talk about her, okay, so she's, she's amazing. She focused her work on children. 
She had a 20-year career. She was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame in 1989. She has all these amazing awards for her work, helping children and doing neurological surgery, which, wow. you know, she is a brain surgeon. She's a rocket scientist. By the way, I forgot, Buckaroo Banzai was also like a, neurosci- a neurosurgeon. He was a <laughs> surgeon too. I forgot that part. So just like Buckaroo Banzai, and I don't mean to demean this, but it's like, she's just amazing. You know, she literally is, like we say all the time, it's not brain surgery. Well, she does do brain surgery. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to talk about her was because the only reason she decided to go into medicine was because when she was in college, she spent a summer in a program for minorities, and that's actually the title of the program, minorities and careers. And so she went around, I think it was the summer after her sophomore year, looking at different careers and kind of got excited about medicine. And at several points during her academic career, she thought about leaving. She did not have confidence. Hmm. She did not have confidence. I can't do this. I can't be a doctor. I can't be a neurosurgeon. And honestly, when you look around and there's nobody else who looks like you, boy, I get that, right? Yeah. And the reason I picked her was because every time she got around her own lack of confidence, sometimes she did it unaided. Other times she had this amazing mentor, whether as a college student or a medical student or somebody who was working with her in her department who believed in her and who made a difference. And so for everybody out there, I noticed how much of a difference people made in this woman's life for her to get to the place where she can just do so, so much good work. Wow. So that's why I picked her. Yeah, because... It's interesting because you never know whose life you're influencing. Mm -hmm. And to have somebody who was lifted up and encouraged and supported through her this, what, yeah, felt like a, sounds like it was a really difficult in some kinds process. Did not let her own lack of self-confidence and those around her did not let her lack of self-confidence get in the way of what were clearly her gifts and abilities. Yeah, that is amazing. Alexa Kennedy. Alexa Kennedy. So now what's your next one, Karina? Okay, so you're you're one scientist. Mm-hmm. I'm actually two scientists. Yeah, you're two scientists. Two doctors. One and an astronaut. And a neuroscientist. Oh, don't forget, and a dancer. Surgeon, neurosurgeon. Yeah. Well, mine's another activist. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> we love activism. I love activism. Yeah, okay. This is another woman who I have seen speak, I know personally, and is also an incredible inspiration, Rosalinda Guillen. And, you know, this is a woman who identifies in any speech that I've heard her do. She says, I'm a farm worker. I'm a farm worker from a family of farm workers. My father farmed the land in what used to be known as Northern Mexico which is Texas, which I love when she says that. But she didn't find her political voice till she was in her late 30s. She said Mm. she wasn't even registered to vote when she found her political voice. And she was recruited by the Rainbow Coalition to help Jesse Jackson Jackson get elected. Yes. And she learned grassroots organizing, political organizing, and she found her political voice. And she looked at the situation around her and realized... I can put this political voice to use in elevating the work that I have been doing and my family have been doing for generations and generations and generations. And that is being a farm worker. Which is making food for people, growing food for people, which is one of the most sacred things 
that a worker can do is to grow the food that feeds us. That we eat. And she's It's talks- like the religious form of communion. It is, Do you it, know what I mean? Yes. It's like you feed people. That's right. And she's saying, you know, she had learned from her father, this is sacred. Get up before the mm-hmm. sun comes up. Smell the earth as it mm-hmm. changes, as the sun rises. Feel the humidity. Feel the temperature. Listen to what's being said. And you work till sundown. And it is a noble profession. And not only did she learn that from her father, she also learned that what she saw and what she and other farm workers saw was so unique. They saw the pesticides poisoning the land. Mm-hmm. They saw the impact of poor farming practices, practices on the people, on the food, on the land, on the water, on the habitat. And she found her political voice and she went on to work with Cesar Chavez. She went on to work nationally for farm worker justice. She's now working locally here in our own town and all across the state to really empower farm worker voices and to demand that farm workers are treated, she says, we can't just be tools. We can't just be another resource that's owned by the agricultural industry to make more profit. We are people. And I would go on to say, we are people who are, like you said, doing the noble work of mm-hmm. feeding us. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more sacred? No. And so talk about an impact to work. This woman is impacting. She is in the middle. She is. She has dove right in. And I have to say my final piece about Rosalinda, which just is near and dear to, to both of our hearts, I know, and that is her nonprofit organization that she formed to do this work is intentionally women led intentionally. And she uses that term women executive director and all women on the board. It's intentionally women-led. Like, go, sister. Go, go Rosalinda. Forth. I, yeah. I, no, she's amazing. We are behind you. She's amazing. So she's, yeah, uh, another activist. And speaking of these women, too, because I know every one of you have pulled over in your car and you're now writing down all of the names of these people because you want to look them up and go watch their YouTube videos. But we do have show notes attached to every one of these podcasts. So we'll make sure to put links to some amazing to the great YouTube videos and to the articles and Mm -hmm. about each of these women. Okay, so I'm going to dive right in to Janice Bryant Howroyd from Act One Group. Okay, so first of all, as I said just a little bit ago, I'm more of like the science and the business person. And this is the business person from Central Casting. Mm -hmm. She has created an HR placement, temporary placement, staffing and consulting firm that is in 19 countries and is like, I mean, it's like crazy. It's like $3 billion or something. And I really want to encourage people to click on the YouTube link of her interview in the show notes, because this woman, the way she speaks and the way she uses words is like magic. She was an English major. I'm an English major. I'm going to chalk it up a little bit to that. But just listen to the way she picks and chooses words. I mean, it's unlike anybody I've actually ever listened to in my life. Wow. She's extraordinary. So this is like worth the listen. So Janice started out with $900 in her own savings, and she borrowed $600 from her mom. $600, right? She sets herself up and she starts her business. Now she's like to $3 billion. And there are two things about her that I want to celebrate. And the first one is her whole business philosophy is grounded in her family of origin. 
And I know that a lot of us look at our families of origin. I'm like, oh, yeah, not sure uh, that's a good idea for everyone. Not sure it's a good idea. Or are there things there? What do you have to get over? But she grew up in a family with 11 children. And the way her parents ran the family was with what she calls organization, respect, and communication. Hmm, Great. Which is like the very core of HR, human resources. What do humans want? Yes. They want effective communication. They want to be well-organized so that what they're doing is meaningful. And they also want to be respected. She took those three things from her family of origin that her parents instilled in them because they had 11 stinking kids. And she Yeah, took- you got to be organized <laughs> with 11 kids. <laughs> and she took that to her business. And there's another thing about her that is a fun fact. I don't know if folks will remember this. I remembered it because my mom loved this show. It was called Julia. And it was the first syndicated TV show with an African-American female black woman who was a professional nurse. And she had was a widow and she was raising a young son and she worked for this white doctor. And really the show was all about how effective she was. And Janice says, I looked at Julia and she t- she reminded me of all the women in my life Hmm. The women I knew, the competent, smart, capable women. And finally in TV, there was somebody who was elevated and shown to be what I knew. Wow. Not a maid, Which not is the, a helper. Yeah, yeah. This is the second person who I know. is saying that. It's about, if we talk about this, we have to, as humans, we like to see. You have to be seen. Yes. You have to see something that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And to know it's possible sometimes. Yeah. And in addition to the kind of the, the study, I guess, that we, or studies that we referenced at the beginning of the show, having role models or people that, that are in part of popular culture that Say you're okay. You're, you're not okay. This- you're just super cool, actually. Yeah. Y- yeah, exactly. There are two things that I also want to call it about her. And she really pushes to change the way financing happens because she says, yeah, I had 900 bucks from my savings and 600 bucks from my mom because I couldn't get lending. So she really pushes financial institutions, banks. Yeah to change their lending practices because women and women of color have a very difficult time getting financing. So this is one of her missions is to say, no, we need to change our lending practices. And I like this about her because so many things about her seem so, I'm going to use the word proper. You know, she comes from this family. There's these great values. She's frustrated with the lending industry, but she says this thing, turn your anger into passion. Uh huh. When she said that, I realized, yeah, she was probably angry about a whole bunch of things, but she says, turn it into passion. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that is leadership. That is something I want to follow, turning anger into passion. And in this case, you know, you're th- she was angry. She couldn't get a flipping loan. She couldn't even get a loan. She didn't need that much money either. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if she had to borrow six, and there were probably a thousand other things she was angry about. You know, honestly. Starting a business in America as a black woman. Yeah. I mean, as a woman, it's hard. As a black woman. So, no, I just find like she's just, and really, I cannot, you've got to listen to her speak. I know. I can't wait. I actually, yeah, I cannot wait. I can, uh, you're going to love it. What's the name of her business again? It is called Act One Group. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here's our last one. Privately held, by the way. Yeah. Go, girl. 
Exactly. Yeah. You and your $3 billion. Yeah. Take it and change the lending practices along the way while you're at it. Thank you for your work. Okay. Finally, I have an activist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, people don't know this about me, but But I do want to say, Karina, I don't want to just like, okay, Fawn Sharp is a leader. Yes. She leads, she rises, she, you know, she's like cream to the surface. And I get that part of her leadership is that she leverages her leadership for her activism, but she's a leader. Yeah. And, and Rosalinda is a farm worker. Yeah. She's a farm worker who is using her wisdom and her position and her passion to lead and, and activate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I know we're just kind of joking and I don't mean to pigeonhole these women. The it's, next one is very interesting. It's just funny because I have a history of activism. Um, of activism. Okay, this is my final one, Yuri Kochiyama. Yuri Kochiyama. So this is a woman who was actually interned in a Japanese internment camp after the bombing of Pearl in Harbor. In Arkansas, right? Yeah. Which I had no idea we interned people in Arkansas. We interned people everywhere. I did not know this. And there we go back to the complicated history of America. Yeah, complicated history of America. Happy 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. So after, you know, 1942, bombing in Pearl Harbor, she gets hauled, she and her family get hauled off to an internment Japanese internment camp and she really cites this as the beginning of her political awakening. I think she just started to see the world as a different place because she right was shoved behind hurricane fencing and said you have to stay here because mm-hmm. of the way that you look. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, she ends up, you know, marrying, having a young family and moves to Harlem where just random circumstances and her own interest kind of lead her to Malcolm X. Interesting fact, she's actually in the photo. She's holding Malcolm X's head when he was assassinated, like after he had been oh, assassinated. She was right there she when he was, was shot. Right there. So she found her voice. She found activism, listening to Malcolm X and others, Black speakers and writers. And the thing that really was noticeable for her after that was that, you know, she had been shooting for integration. You know, her whole view on the way to change what had happened to her was to make sure that everyone felt equal. Like, you know, we're going Mm -hmm. for integration. Mm -hmm. And after working with Malcolm and others, she shifted her eyes towards total liberation. And that's really the place where she worked from for the rest of her life. She fought for Puerto Rican independence. She fought to free U.S. political prisoners. And then she took on a lot of Asian American issues, social justice issues like anti-Vietnam war protests and labor organizing, supporting variety of ethnic studies programs, both I think at the university and high school level, and advocating for compensation for Japanese American incarceration. So again, she finds this voice out of this terrible experience that's being interned. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know what? I'm going to change. I my now it is my goal to change this experience for everyone who comes after me. And again, it was one. It's one of those. Don't you think, though, Krina? I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to. Yeah, you did. I did. It's good. I think that all of these women, like they are changing the experience for people after them. They are. You don't have to be the first neurosurgeon in the United States. You don't have to be the first. Black female astronaut. I mean, that is the glorious thing about these women is that they've just like, okay, then we can do that. Let's do it. Yeah, they show us the power, I think, of 
recognize the power of seeing where you are and seeing what you want to change or do or harness or tackle or claim and taking something deep in their lives, like Fawn Sharp taking her disconnection in D.C., yeah, or um, or her teachings of her people. Yes, or Rosalinda's like you know success with the Rainbow Coalition and really awakening and her deep connection to farm working through generations. Yes, yes. There's Janice Krina who like took her whole family of origin organization and turned it into a three billion dollar business. Yeah, it's just so phenomenal. And I think we all have the have we all have that in us. We all have that in us. And there's the real celebration, Krina is that it is in us. It is. So here we are. It's 4th of July weekend. We're celebrating America. There is lots to celebrate. It's complicated and hard. There is lots to celebrate. And I just want to encourage folks to look at these women. And the women around you. And the women around you. And look inside yourself and get out there and do that work that like you find in yourself, that inspires you, that you're grounded in, that you have some affinity for. So that's what we're trying to do is say, hey, celebrate and like, you know, celebrate. And then as Dr. Jameson says, Jemison says, look up. So look out and see what you can do with it. Yes, that is worth celebrating. It is. It is. Have a great holiday weekend. And think about these just amazing women. Thanks for joining us. Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. listening.